Hello and welcome to another episode of Only Human, the podcast which is all about saying what we're finding tough right now, plus sharing advice and tips on the things that are helping, taking every day one step at a time. This episode is all about mental health in young adults. So I think this is a really important, an important episode for sure. Absolutely a subject close to my heart, being or feeling fully responsible for bringing up two teenagers and young adults. I think it's fair to say that we have absolutely seen a deterioration of mental health broadly. Um, young people um, seem to be particularly impacted, and that is a concern for all of us from a societal point of view, but from a parental point of view as well. Um, just to, I guess, pin it on a statistic, um, in young people aged 17 to 19 years old, the rates of a probable mental health issue rose from 1 in 10 uh, in 2017 to 1 in 6 in 2020 to 1 in 4 in 2022, the year just gone. So 1 in 4 of our children is likely to have some sort of, whether it's a disorder diagnosis, a mental health issue that requires treatment, um, that requires therapy, uh, you know, whatever that is wrapped in, that's just too many. That's just too scary a stat to look at. That stat, by the way, wasn't me just plucking something out of thin air. It was published by the NHS on the 29th of November, 2022. It was the Mental Health of Children and Young People in England 2022 report. I'd say there's a lot of uncertainty at the minute and I'd say children would absolutely feel that, whether that's first-hand or second-hand in terms of, you know, kids will grow up seeing what their parents are worried about and inevitably a lot of them will um, will take that on themselves. Three years, I think, now of, of regular doom and gloom news bulletins and headlines in newspapers that will inevitably have an impact. And I think that what we're going to discuss in today's episode is probably a large part of that. So I've had a real realisation of late with regards to what my role needs to adapt to as a parent. I've seen various challenges um, that my children have gone through. They're 18 and 19 now. Uh, they're both in the world of work Firstly, I, th I think I always worried what the impact of the lockdowns and things like that would have on them. I've seen how it's impacted with their sense of identity. I think it's common for young people to feel a bit lost. I don't think I've found myself yet and I'm 43, so why should we expect our children to have found themselves at 18? Um, I used to think that that was when parenting was done and that there was a checkered flag at the 18 mark and that obviously was absolute rubbish but you know sometimes it's for our benefit isn't it we can feel like we've done a good job or we can feel like we can now focus on ourselves a little bit more at that point because our children are mentally stable whatever that means by the way and actually what we're realizing what I've certainly realized is that actually that's not a destination we're likely to arrive at anytime soon because I've not arrived there I have to look after my mental health in certain ways, whether it's meditating, whether it's exercising. You know, that's a constant requirement, isn't it? Something that we all have to work on on a, on a regular basis. So I've got the years of experience. I know the tools. I know what to do to keep myself in check, 
kids don't necessarily. So how do they learn that? My big realisation that I've alluded to uh, is that I need to get out of the way, actually. You know, I thought that it, when I see either of them struggle, you know, in whatever way that might manifest itself, I need to be the solution. I think it's really natural for parents to think, I need to be the solution because that's what being a parent is. But actually, at what point and what age maybe or what stage in your kid's development does it become counterproductive? So I think that by me trying to be the solution, more often than not, I'm denying my children the space to be able to explore where the solutions are at for themselves or to actually take full responsibility for how they are and what they're doing in order to become happier, more content, more balanced, you know, however you want to term it. I was in the way. I realised that I was denying them the space to be able to learn on the spot, which is what I had to do. I understand why parents cling on to... Uh, an element of control because I guess we feel that if we relinquish that at any point, then that's when it will really go wrong and then we'll be to blame. There's a little bit of ego in that. It's very natural and we all have that instinct. But when you actually just get out the way, I think that our relationships with our kids can improve straight away. Um, I think that their ability to problem solve comes to the fore. It starts to sort of rise up and all of a sudden this sense of responsibility and control and power over their own actions, their own fate. Um, I don't know, it can it can actually be the answer. Again, I'm only saying it because that's what I've seen. You know, I wanted to reflect that because I think that that might be useful to other other households. Let's be honest, as parents, we've absolutely tried our best for as many years as we've had them. I think there is always this tricky point of when it comes to our kids, we're kind of handing the baton over. We are starting to relinquish our control and starting to encourage their own. I don't think there's a definite moment that that baton goes from your hand to theirs. I think it, again, is a really gradual process where I'm handing it over and we're both holding it. And actually that period is probably quite a few years where we're both holding the baton. I think that actually I've done a bit I've done a bit and I've provided them with a menu. Here's what you could be. Here's what you could do in life. These were my choices. This was my pathway and this is who I am today and this is who I want to be tomorrow. So they see all of that and I think that they will choose certain elements of it and then other elements they'll think, no, that's not for me. Uh, I still think it's really, really important that we absolutely provide them with a good role model. That will always be our job. That will never stop because we're always... Well, I'm always 23 years ahead of my two. So if I'm a good person today, um, you know, they're going to look at that and they're going to see certain things. And again, it's a, it's a good menu. I felt a lot less pressure at the point where I accepted that my children are going to navigate this from here on. I'm always going to be a support. I'm always going to be there for them. It will be slightly more reactive than preemptive because it's not my job to be preemptive for them anymore. M, you can tell that that was uh, of personal significance, that particular subject. And I uh, really, really wanted to let people know the 
I guess, the realisation that I'd come to. But I know that a lot of other people have had a lot to say about this and that wasn't completely unexpected. So uh, please let us know what are people saying out there. We've had a message from Claire and she talks about the education system. She thinks a huge amount of teenage mental health issues actually stem from this. She thinks it needs to change badly and this is linked to one of her children who suffers from anxiety and had to be removed from school in year 11 before their GCSEs. She says she'd wish she'd done it sooner. At the end of the day, her point is nothing is more important than your child's mental health, not even education. Love it and thank you so much for prompting me on a conversation that I had just yesterday with a friend who is trying to be the best possible father he can be by giving his child a uh, first class private education and he was talking about the issues that his child was having. We talked around the the, the pressures and the the conformity required to be in certain uh, education environments and how it's not for everybody and that we shouldn't be trying to squeeze the square peg into the round hole. He is not failing as a parent if he doesn't send his child to a private school. And we were able to relate it to football in that, you know, you don't manage each player or you don't manage a defender in the same way that you you'd manage a forward or that you don't manage a player that you know is quite young or sensitive um, in the same way that you would someone who's experienced and and, and thick-skinned. Um, and we have to look at our children and expect our children to be, to be completely different. Say we've got three kids, there's no way that the same school will cater for all of them. One might be creative, one might be quite insecure, one might be quite robust and, and be quite sporting. You know, I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, that's for sure. Really, their happiness is absolutely the most important thing. And uh, if a child is happy, they will learn. If a child is unhappy, then they are unlikely to be able to focus or to give their best. So ask yourself, what's the right environment? Don't necessarily feel like you have to do what everybody else is doing. There is no one size fits all and one environment might be right for one child. It might be completely wrong for the other child. If you're anything like me, you'll be begging and counting down the days for the school life to end so that they can actually go and shine in the outside world. I had to every night almost clash with Freddie um, because that's what society, that's what the education system tells them we need to. You've got to do your homework, otherwise you're judged. And the arguments that I had with Freddie, I regret all of them. And if I could go back, I would absolutely just say, do you know Fred, let's just do a little bit, but don't stress yourself out. Um, just show me that you sort of understand what it is that they want you to do. And then the rest of it, I'll tell the school that when you come home, I want you to feel safe happy. I want you to rest. I want us to work on other things in life that are going to be really important for you. Uh, instead of falling out over things that actually you're never going to use as an adult. We can educate ourselves in adult life. And if we're particularly interested in algebra, um, then we can always come back to that. I'd do it differently. I, I absolutely would. And I, 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 as I say, I really begrudge um, the arguments that I had to have with either child in trying to help them and encourage them and try sometimes force them to keep up with what school demands of them. If you have any messages regarding mental health in young adults, then I'd love to hear from you. It's only.human at absoluteradio.co.uk. 
If you'd like more support or advice, please go to absoluteradio.co.uk forward slash time to listen for details of some amazing organisations we work with who can help. I'll be back with more of your messages after this. So I went on a road trip with my kids for Christmas. So we're obviously into January now. I've been on that road trip and it was so much more than I expected it to be. Firstly, we were lucky that Freddie was with us in the first place just because he had actually decided he didn't want to come. Last minute interventions, he ends up being with us on the trip and I'm so, so grateful that he was because of how much he particularly benefited from it. Bobby, Guru Bob, let's call him, refer to him as Guru Bob um, now because his meditation has just gone to a ridiculous level. It's almost like it's all he does every day apart from EastEnders. Um, And I love that spiritual path and I now actually ask him for advice. But back to this road trip. Firstly, went to Sussex, a place called Seaford because Seven Sisters is one of my favourite places in the UK. It's absolutely gorgeous and I just wanted to wake up there. And then we work our way across, seeing some friends, Bexhill-on-Sea, St. Leonard's. By the way, St. Leonard's is like a really trendy up-and-coming area. And then we went up to Margate, and then we went round to Suffolk. We visited friends up there. We went to a little fishing village called Orford. Uh, and then we got back into the tradition of waking up on beaches. Um, not literally, because you can't park your camper on a beach. A bit dangerous with the tide and all. But we, uh, we went to Alderborough, which again is just like a, a little place that time forgot. And yeah, listen, I'll tell you what we got. We got that consolidation of a, a family that have all been through a lot and that have all been heading in different directions of late. I guess, you know, we're we're all sort of more than aware that last year four became three. And I guess it's just coming back to, to the group and the group being our safe space. And there was no arguing, no bickering, because obviously when we think about going away with the kids, usually we've dragged them and usually there's a bit of playing up. And obviously mine are 18 and 19. It doesn't mean to say that they don't play up in some ways. But, you know, actually there was a lot of teamwork. There was a lot of you know, needing to to help each other to be able to put the beds out, to put the bedding on, to take the bedding off in the morning. and But doing things like swimming in the sea every morning, wherever we were, um, we reconnected. It's incredibly positive to do something like that together. We created memories, we shared experiences, and it was all carefree. There was no pressure or stress. There was no, right, we've got a beer by a certain time. We loved the first trip so much. We we came home for two days and then we went back out. Um, so we went back out for New Year. We ended up going to Manchester and actually uh, went to a, a New Year's Eve event that was right up Bob Street. We, we, I guess, broke with convention and we did that at Christmas as well. It's something I'm particularly proud of and it's something that I would absolutely encourage people to do is not necessarily follow the path that they've always been on. Yeah, and again, you might be looking at you know, Jeff, I'm never staying in a camper, mate. Sorry, but your Christmas sounds awful. Respect that. Um, but ultimately, I think we just have to be open-minded. I would hope for us to be open-minded enough to just explore what else is out there that actually we've never tried. We were never introduced to ourselves, but maybe by trying these things, we encourage our kids to do these things and then we know it exists. Job done as a parent.
Okay, so we've had a message from Alison and she said, as a mum of two young adults, I find that social media has a huge part to play in the mental health explosion of recent years. Influencers in particular living and seemingly flaunting the most amazing lives that are completely out of reach to virtually everybody else. How are you ever meant to feel you are successful or good enough with this all around you every minute of every day? I think it's a lot for the developing mind. It is a lot for the developing mind, but it's their reality now. Uh, You know, whether social media existed or not, there was always the person that that drove down the high street in the Jaguar XJS or the, you know, whatever the car was. I think it's for each young person to be able to work out for themselves, you know, just what is the reality. Um, I'd I'd see, I'd look at social media as a a menu in itself as, uh, you know, this is how things could be. Uh, but it's not necessarily the reality for for most of us. And it's certainly probably not even a reality for those that are um, portraying the perfect lifestyle. Um, You know, we can tell our kids that until we're blue in the face, but at some point they're going to have to come to that conclusion themselves and and inevitably I'm I'm sure they will. Uh, But I completely empathise. Like, it is such a concern um, and I think sometimes we battle against it uh, whereas, you know, really it's just, do we, can we just promote discussions with our children uh, around, you know, what is the reality and what is that person not posting that's likely to be going on on a daily basis and what kind of difficulties do they go through uh, even though they look like they're absolutely having it off. Okay, one last question. It's not actually written on here, but I remember it coming in and I thought it was really interesting. Is it your question? It's not my question, I promise, but it's from Louise. I don't think enough families sit around a table at dinner time anymore and discuss and resolve problems that might be uh, contributing towards mental health. Well, I completely agree. I think that time spent, as I'm, you know, telling you about my camper van trip, well, that's exactly what it is. It's 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 time where the only agenda is fun, relaxation, togetherness, connection, um, and I think the dinner table is also something that provides us with that as well. And you know, it's not just communication, which is obviously important, and we want to give our children the ability to communicate because they're going to need that in life but also conflict resolution, uh, which I think is a vital skill in in adult life as well, in life in general. Um, So the ability to take on board somebody's complaint or somebody's uh, feelings, to be able to validate them, to be able to um, answer to them, to be able to try and help uh, come to a conclusion and find solution between uh, family members um, to grant space when someone needs it if they need to get down from the table because they're too upset to show compassion and empathy these things all happen around the dinner table so it's not just about yummy food it's also about teaching your children some vital skills that they're going to need in life so I'm all for the dinner table I think as I summarise teenage mental health, certainly from my own experience with Bob and Fred, I think that actually focusing in on the issue um, is important. However, focusing on our own behaviours and actions and words are very, very important because, as I say, we are the guide. We are the menu. 
Um, so if we want our children to perform a certain way, to react a certain way to certain difficulties and challenges, then, well, we have to be embodying that ourselves. And that is the first and the most easy thing for us to put right because, you know, a lot of times I think our kids can turn around and say, well, you're telling me to do that, but you're not doing it yourself. Um, I think the most common and obvious example of that is, you know, get off your phone, but you're always on it. Um, so, you know, when it <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's a difficult one to come back from, isn't it? Um, I think I come back to the fact that I know and have come to a, a, a realisation that, that backing off and allowing space for, for Fred in particular to make his own choices, um, I've seen in a short window of time since I feel like I really have done that, since I was on a retreat literally crying for three hours because I knew I was letting go of um, a certain element of the way that I parented him. Um, and ever since then, actually, he has been more responsible. He has been more disciplined. He has um, held himself more than he did before. And of course, it's completely relative, isn't it? Because if we're the ones doing all the holding, there's no space or time uh, or opportunity for them to hold themselves. So to see Fred hold himself uh, more um, and in a more uh, responsible, constructive and kind way... I think is undoubtedly because I've just stepped back and allowed the space for him to do so. So I hope that you try it. And again, I'm not giving you a step-by-step instruction because I don't have that. I'm just feeling my way through it myself. When to encourage something, when to allow space and time, when to let them sit on the sofa at 12 o'clock, even though you think, well, you could be working. Um, you know, these are all decisions that we make ourselves. But ultimately, let's always hold in mind, what is the actual agenda here? Well, it's to be effective, isn't it? I don't want to just say the things that were said to me when I was a kid, because actually a lot of it's outdated. I don't also want to speak from emotion. Um, I don't want to speak from my young self. You know, I talk about inner child a lot because that's the the, um, the work that I've done. So I know that little Jeff didn't get away with you know, taking my time to find my way into the world of work, I had no choice. So it's very easy for me and for us, if you also have a a bit of an inner child and your childhood differs greatly from your children's, it's very likely that at some point we're going to revert back to type and go a little bit old school and be like, well, I couldn't do that. You've got it so much easier for, for me. Yeah, but why are we telling them that? Because we've made it that way. So... I also know to keep that at bay and always just try and make sure that whatever I'm saying to them doesn't come from emotion, doesn't come from a young place, but actually comes from love and genuinely doing what I feel is best. And that's all we can do, right? That's all we can actually do um, to help the situation. So no instructions, feel your way through it as I'm doing and I'll continue to let you know how it's going. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Only Human. If you like what you've heard, you can hear more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Absolute Radio app, or wherever you get yours. And remember to hit follow so you never miss an episode. If you'd like more support or advice, absoluteradio.co.uk forward slash time to listen, where you can find details of some amazing organisations we work with who can help. 
In the next episode, I'll be talking about loneliness and sharing our vulnerabilities. If you have any messages regarding this subject, then I'd love to hear from you. It's only.human at absoluteradio.co.uk. Until next week, take care.